Welcome to the Breaching Extinction Podcast. Mm. Um, I'm here with Jordan Lerma, who graduated from the College of St. Mary's um, of California with a degree in economics and finance. Yep. Awesome. Um, who is now a whale biologist. Or is that what I you don't know, I, I honestly don't know what my title is. Um, but yeah, no, I'm working to be a biologist. I, I don't think I'd call myself a biologist yet. No. Um, but you work with Cascadia Research, correct? Yes. Awesome. Yep. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your position, what you do? Yeah. Um, so I started working field projects with the Cascadia Research Collective um, three years ago. And really, we do everything from taking photos to... Um, labeling sample vials to processing data at the end of the day. Um, you know, wherever something's needed, we are either expected to learn or are expected to know how to do it. Um, so my position's been, you know, a jack of all trades. Um, I was initially approached to do this kind of stuff by flying drones. So uh, I like to call myself the drone pilot for Cascadia, but, you know, anything on project that I need to do is also uh, a priority so i do a lot of different types of things for cascadia i don't, nice. can't really nail it down just one <laughs> for sure um and for those who don't know cascadia is just like essentially a marine mammal research center um actually i mean cascadia research started as a club at evergreen um college oh, I and by yeah john kamakitas and uh their I, I believe the first few products were on bats so they've they've done you know we have papers out on seabirds mm-hmm. um but you know the project i've worked on is mostly cetacean stuff Nice. That's awesome. Um, so you have kind of navigated your way into this field in a unique way or taken a different <laughs> approach. Most people go to school for like 900 years and then you know, <laughs> they end up being whale biologists. Yeah. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your story and how you got into this field? Yeah, no, definitely. So um, I studied economics and public finance and I worked at a bank for a couple years and I was just getting tired of not seeing the sun. You know, I worked for long hours in a cubicle. It was just very depressing. So I decided that I didn't want to waste my 20s doing that. I wanted to find something else, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, so I moved from San Francisco to Kauai on the, in the state of Hawaii. And I, you know, burned through my savings trying to figure it out. I mean, I took classes that I was interested in till I wasn't interested anymore. Um, and it just so happened I happened upon someone who was flying drones, and I thought that was pretty cool. I think I'd be good at this. Um, so I ended up buying a drone, and very, very luckily it was whale season in Hawaii, so I was like, no one's really filming humpbacks from this angle. I think I can contribute to, you know, at least explaining some of their behaviors from from the air, and I would, you know, every morning go out to some beach where I thought the humpbacks would be, and fly out over them and record and then I would share it online and then people started engaging with me about the content and you know I contributed my videos to various different outlets um until it really started getting it started getting old and boring and I wanted to find something else and I have this sort of ADD with all of these different things um and I went to Whale Tales, which is a humpback whale festival in Maui, and my boss now, Robin Baird, was one of the keynote speakers, and I approached him and I said, you know, I, I've been flying over humpbacks for a couple years now. There's got to be something else. Like, what, what's the next challenge? What, what, what can I do to help mm-hmm. your yeah. research? And he said, you know, let's, let's, 
you know, at the, at the time, he just got drones added on his permit, and, you know, he was curious about the technology, but hesitant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's tough when new, new, these new types of things come up, and researchers that have been established are very, very hesitant to, to just, you know, uh, establish them in their, in their current, uh, in their current um, research practices. Um, so I volunteered for a couple projects, and I came out, and he had me do everything but fly drones. Mm-hmm. He, I, I think it was a test to see if I could handle everything else you know data sheets taking photo id um mm-hmm. you know collecting samples you know if you can handle all the other stuff then maybe you're useful if you don't end up flying drones right. um, so it wasn't until the fourth or fifth project that i volunteered on that he said you know bring the drone out today mm-hmm. and let's 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 just do a trial run to see what it's like to fly the drone For sure, yeah you know he wants to get the safety stuff figured out and the logistics of retrieval and um, and those things, and we came across a pot of, I think the the final count was 650 melonhead whales wow. um, um, off the west side of Lanai, and um, you know he turned to me and said, "Let's let's put the drone up." And I was like, "Okay, well this is nice. it. That's a good. It's yeah. a good time to, to to try this." And you know the footage that we got back is a it's a perspective. I mean, for someone who's been spending 20 years on the water with these animals to see them from a different angle really blew his mind yeah and he's like i want to do this with pseudorca i want to do this with other species um so a couple projects later we had the opportunity to to fly over pseudorca um and we were able to measure them and Mm -hmm. you know during that encounter he was like do you think we can breath sample them and it's like why why not let's try it like we're already here yeah um you know and we put the petri dish on the drone and we're able to breath sample false kill whales for the i think i'm going to take credit that's the first time it's ever been done that's awesome um so, I mean, now we have projects getting funded to do um, more breath sampling work with pilot whales and false killer whales. So, you know, it's it's taking those mm-hmm. risks and trying something that no one else has done, um, but doing it in a way that's, you know, safe and responsible. For sure. Um, and within the bounds of his permit. Right. Um, not to, yeah, but to, to try new things, I think he really appreciated that aspect and what I wanted to do. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's why he ended up hiring me. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so how were they previously getting breath samples then if you weren't using mm-hmm. drones? Um, so breath samples typically are taken from a very long pole with a petri dish at the end. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's tricky because you need cooperative animals. Right. And, you know, high-profile species like pseudorca, which are endangered mm-hmm. in Hawaii, tend not to want a bow ride, mm-hmm. or the individuals that come into bow ride aren't the individuals you want to target. So Makes sense. Um, you know, Adolescent males tend to come in and bow ride more often than the large females that we want to get right. hormone analysis on. So, you know, the drone really helps us pick and choose which which animals are our targets, and we'll focus on those. And we don't have we can stay back and let the drone do its yeah. thing. Um, so, you know, it's it's a slightly different approach, but I think in the long run we'll be able to get uh, more meaningful samples from the animals that need more work. Yeah, that's definitely awesome. I've been on like a couple of boats where like we were alongside the animals watching Mm -hmm. them and then like we also had a drone up and it's like it's a completely different thing like there's so much more information that you can get from that so it's like such a valuable tool um but it seems as though there's a lot of like politics around it at the moment and like weird laws can you speak to that a little bit yeah no i mean the the drone industry in general has evolved so quickly the past five ten years Mm -hmm. um you know there's no step no it doesn't have an established rule on on UAVs, they, you know, the FAA classifies them as aircraft, and no one has some rules about how close aircraft can get, but mm-hmm. then they also acknowledge that drones aren't really aircrafts because they're not 
flying humans. I mean, right. they're, they're very different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's still in a gray area, and, you know, I've researched this issue a little bit, and Noah's coming out with a rule at some point to, mm-hmm. to you know, solidify what, what is allowed and what isn't allowed. Um, yeah, but, I mean, I, I, anyone flying a drone over whales um, should just be aware that they have the potential to change their behaviors, and that's not certainly a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But I think those types of interactions should be documented and reported so that we can understand what our long-term effects are. For sure. For any any type of harassment, not just drones, but how, you know, naval sonar, boats and shipping. Right. There's tons of things that can affect whales and dolphins. But right. the more we understand, the more that people are transparent and open to talking about it, the better solutions we can get for policy yeah. decisions. So. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's like a a bit of like an issue with people thinking that we need to have absolutely no effect whatsoever like that's yeah. not realistic in any facet of life yeah. to like not have any impact on anything ever um but just like being able to minimize that for sure yeah we're minim- yeah definitely minimize and just understand like maybe the harassment we're doing doesn't cause them harm right that's that's one thing too like how how, mm-hmm. how people whale watch in the san juan islands is done so responsibly mm-hmm. that people keep their distance they limit their time with the animals mm-hmm. they hand off you know sightings to the next boat when they're done right I mean, it's 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 they all are working together so that they can show their guests a good time, mm-hmm. raise awareness for a species that might be dying off, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you know, minimize harassment. So it's it's yeah. always a balance with with everything. I mean, humans are always going to have an impact. That's our <laughs> that's, what that's we do. our species. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that was like the one thing I noticed when I came to visit the San Juans. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always, like, loved education, and I never really wanted to get into ecotourism because I, coming from Florida, like, those lines were crossed so many times, and, like, seeing boats drive over dolphins, and I came up here because I wanted to see killer whales, and then I saw, like, that they were actually respectful, and I was like, oh, this is different, and I feel Mm -hmm. like the San Juan Islands is the poster child for how, like, all other areas should interact with, like, wildlife in general. I mean, obviously, there's always room to improve and to grow, but, like, you know, they're definitely doing a really good job. Yeah, no, I mean, my, my goal for for all of this, you know, I, researchers, scientists, and the public and the whale-watching community, the commercial organizations that are operating these whale trips, they we all need to work together because if we don't, the animals will go extinct. Exactly. Like, there needs to be cooperation with everyone on board. Like, it's already too late to, to be fighting over certain things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um... Well, I guess that being said, what do you, like, think is the biggest threat to the killer whales, the southern residents Oh, gosh. Oh, I mean, so, like I said, most of my research is in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm very new to the southern resident issue, and, Mm -hmm. you know, I've seen them on the news. Yeah. Um, I think understanding and cooperation is a big threat. Mm -hmm. I think research organizations and the public and um, the whale-watching community need to all sit down and talk about it. Yeah. And figure out how they can work together to solve the issue. Yeah. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of other things like the, the food scarcities. Um, but honestly, I, I, I don't know enough about all of the different issues that yeah. plague the, the resident population. So I, I, I hope that everyone who's working on the issue can, can come together in the same room and decide on the on what the priority needs to be to, to save the animals. And For it sure. has to be has to be communication. They, they have to talk. Yeah. And I feel the same way, which is, like, why I'm doing this podcast is to try to start that conversation. And Mm -hmm. like you, I don't know – I know enough about whales and enough about the southern residents to know what to ask, but I don't – I don't have all the answers, and I'm not going to pretend like I do. Like, that's what this is. This is, like, it's an investigation and trying to talk to different people, but – 
there's so many entities that are involved, like research groups and nonprofits and government agencies and then other people combating it. It's just like there's so much information. Like I've never seen so much information on how to save an animal or just information on an animal in general. Like for some reason, these particular killer whales, like people are just attached to them. Yeah. Did you like... Uh, are the whales in Hawaii similar, or do you think the <laughs> southern residents are unique in that sense? No, I mean, the southern residents, I mean, the killer whale is the most identifiable whale in the world, right? I'm sure there's some survey that backs that up. Um, you know, in Hawaii, we have humpbacks that are, mm-hmm. you know, viewed in the same way. Um, when, the la- you know, the last four years of humpback sightings have decreased, they called an emergency meeting to try and figure out why. And mm-hmm. I think the same thing happens with the southern residents, but the lack of coordination or lack of cooperation with everyone kind of plagues that and holds them back. Yeah. And it, it is a tough issue. I mean, yeah. there are so many different parties involved. For sure. That you can't expect everyone to, to, to figure out, you know, what the solution is. Right. Um, but is it going to be to the point that it's too late? Yeah. That we all like, oh, we've got to do this. we got to do this, or, yeah. or, you know, is that to the detriment of the species? I, I don't know. Yeah. And, you know, as a researcher, we, we are going out to answer questions, very specific questions about certain things. Mm-hmm. And we hope that it adds to the conversation. Right. And we think it hopefully will. But, I mean, that goes back to the whole thing of what questions should we be asking? Which questions are the most important? Yeah. And there's always, like, a, a hundred different reasons, like, why you would ask something or a lot of, like, you know, you ask certain questions because you can ask those questions. Because there's certain research you just, like, can't conduct because it's, like, not considered ethical or it's not, yeah. you know, there's not the resources to do it or the technology. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's cool. Yeah, and there's also, I mean, the whole social media aspect for all of this, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, social media amplifies opinions. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, you know, it, it's tough for for people in power to say certain things without it getting misconstrued somewhere down the pipeline on social media. Absolutely. Causing such a, I mean, such a, you know, with, with a species as popular as the Southern residents, it's... It can it, get a little out of hand. Their popularity definitely doesn't help. Yeah. The, I didn't realize that there was, like, such a community of, like, whale photographers. Like, that's, like, a whole little niche <laughs> of people. And then I um, met... Um, Andrew Harpster and Adam Ernster at the job that I work at now and like they kind of opened up that door of like oh look at all these people and like there's like a bunch of people that follow all of these like whale photographers and it's just interesting because it's like you know they're not biologists or anything but those are the ones that people look up to and like those are the people that are like the stewards for that species so you have to be really careful what you say no it's it's a very interesting issue because you know a lot of these whale watch companies have professional photographers on board Mm -hmm. who are able to get incredible photos of these animals Mm -hmm. and you know working on the research side of things under permit we're restricted to what we can share Mm -hmm. um so it's tough to compete with 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 ideas because they have the viral content Mm -hmm. and we are here trying to spread awareness or you know share what we find by doing our research yeah. but we don't have the same voice as they do so where do we bridge that gap yeah, how, how do we bridge that gap yeah and you know I, it's a it's a tough it's a tough one i think maybe trying to start the conversation with those you know photographers and things like yeah. that because um, I've heard, you know, from some of the people in that community that there are certain people that they don't necessarily care about the whales. They care about, like, the followers and they care about all that kind of stuff. Um, so it, you just have to find a way to articulate that the 
like to speak for the animals as well. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I've interacted with a lot of photographers, and I, I truly believe they love the animals to some extent. They have to, and they wouldn't be there if they didn't. Um, you know, social media definitely changed the whole game by, you know, follower count and mm-hmm. engagement. Um, so it's 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 interesting to see the egos of these photographers come out and. You know, I hope that they're they're thinking long term about what their legacy is. Is it going to be their most liked photo, or is it that the fact that the one photo could you know perhaps save a population from extinction? Yeah, absolutely. So what 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 their legacy? What, what do you want their legacy to be? Exactly. It's a, it's a tough issue for for someone to understand, especially when social media does the things that they do. It does, and it's easy to get that ego boost, and I feel like, you know, scientists are not, um, we're not exempt from that, and I'm not saying I'm a scientist, Mm -hmm. but I think like a scientist, and, um, you know, there's a lot of egos in the scientific field, and um, you had made a post, actually, that, you know, um, initiated the conversation that we're having now, where you had mentioned that you're surrounded by a lot of really smart people, and that that's intimidating, and, you know, you've had to work harder than some of these people because you don't have that background and I can absolutely relate I mean I do have the science degree but like I've had a lot of other things um go on that have made struggles like to get into this field like so many other people um and I was kind of hoping you could speak to that because I feel like that's very relatable for you know people that want to connect to these animals and that's one of the bridges that I want to um kind of create is that gap between like people being intimidated by science and connecting to the animals because at the yep. end of the day it's important to inspire people not intimidate them yeah no it's it's definitely intimidating being in a room with other phd folks who dedicated their lives to studying very specific questions on the animals you're researching and you know the level of conversations that they have you're almost expected to be at that level yeah um and it's hard to admit when you're not mm-hmm. so what you're you know you spend your time reading every single paper they've ever published mm-hmm. to, to at least know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say that you have to work twice as hard or three times as hard, I forget what I said, it's because you have to catch up yeah. to their level of understanding so that you can perform in your position so that they aren't held back by you. Yeah. And I, I think that that's something that we need to work on in our community like of scientists is like knowing that we're all scientists because we don't know. That's why we want yeah. to do science is because we want to know things. But being patient and trying to, you know, think back, you know, to when you were an undergraduate or yeah. when you were even just like a high school student or wherever you were at your stage in life. Like there's nothing wrong with not knowing. Um, yeah, But we all just definitely. have to get there and I feel like there needs to be a little bit more patience in the community for sure. And I think too, like... Just because you're surrounded by really smart people doesn't mean you can't bring anything to the table. For sure. I was on a boat and, you know, surrounded by these really smart people. How many of them can hand catch and inspire? None of them. Yeah. So, you know, you have an individual skill that they don't have. Mm -hmm. And it's all about figuring out what those skills are and how you can make them valuable to those people. Absolutely. That makes you uh, a very valuable member of a team. Mm -hmm. Because having really smart people is one thing, but having a very diverse crew of talent yeah so you know you're you're a lot more successful um as a team rather than a very small amount of really smart people and then i'll definitely like you know set you apart and make your research a little bit more dynamic is like if you're you know you think about things differently because of the type of training that you've had or the type of training that you haven't had you know because if we're all trained the same way of like you know this is how we take pictures of animals and this is how we study them like 
you know, are we looking at things differently at all? Are we really answering those questions? So mm-hmm. it definitely is helpful to have like as many perspectives as possible. Yep, very, very true. You know, and then this, and I get this question kind of often, like, how did you get, you know, you asked me earlier, how do you get your position at Cascadia? Mm-hmm. And it goes to this exact topic. How do we, how do we bring new skills to the research team? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we live in an age where we can learn anything on YouTube, mm-hmm. learn how to fix a boat engine, yeah. learn how to tie knots. I mean, you'd be surprised how many people can't fasten a line mm-hmm. on a boat, you know, learn skills that other people might not be interested in right because that that's really how you get your foot in the door mm-hmm. and then you can learn the science stuff later yeah for sure um so what was it like the first time you saw the southern resident killer whales or a killer whale in general um let's see the first time i saw a killer whale it entangled itself um on a crab pot so I thought, well, that's interesting. I've never seen an animal entangle itself purposely. Right. And then it disentangled itself, and then entangled itself again. So I was like, okay, that's a very interesting mm-hmm. day. I've never seen an animal do that. I was like, well, these, that's a transient. So I was like, okay, mm-hmm. the lone male. I forget which, which tea it was, but it was, it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I saw the residents um, was maybe three weeks ago. Um, and it was cool. I mean, there's mm-hmm. so much hype about them. Um, you know, I, I hate to admit that I don't get connected to these animals as much as other people who really admire these. Right. I mean, I'm, my passion is how do we answer questions, you know, how do we use technology to answer questions that could help save populations. Yeah. So, you know, a new species is always cool. A new, mm-hmm. new, new encounter is always cool. I always look forward to the next one. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome to be able to see them here. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, crossed Absolutely. off my bucket list. For sure. <laughs> Um, have you worked with any other endangered species? Um, so false killer whales in Hawaii are mm-hmm. endangered. There's 163 of them okay. um, left in the insular population. Um, so that's our main species of focus mm-hmm. in, in Hawaii. Nice. Um, it's always a, it's always a treat when they when they pop up. I mean, mm-hmm. it's they're usually uncooperative, so it's they usually come in Beaufort three, Beaufort four. Yeah. So it's tough to work with them. Absolutely. Um, but rewarding. I mean, we've got satellite tags out on them. We've done biopsy. We've done photogrammetry. That's we've done awesome. breath sampling. Um, you know, they're one of the most well-known populations in the world because of what Cascadia has done in Hawaii. That's awesome. Um, you know, even leading to how they were listed as an, an, under the Endangered Species Act. You know, mm-hmm. due to credit to a lot of the a lot of the satellite tag data that we got from differentiating them from a pelagic population or mm-hmm. northwestern Hawaiian Island population. So getting them listed as a um, distinct population segment and nice. then listed as an endangered species is, is awesome. And, and, you know, it has gone to protecting a lot of um, different things in Hawaii as a trickle-down effect from just For sure. protecting them. So, you know, it's 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 cool working with endangered species. Yeah. Um, you know, the humpback whale was also delisted, um, a few years ago. That's good. Um, yeah. Nice. Which is comforting to see at least the, the segment that goes to Hawaii. Um, and the only other endangered species I think that is still listed is the, uh, sperm whale. Okay. Um, and I don't know if I should mention this on the podcast, but the only time I've ever cried when seeing a cetacean was a sperm whale. That's okay. Yeah. We've all been there. Okay, We've good. We've all been there. Yeah. I saw a beluga. That was, like, the first cetacean that I cried at. I yeah. was, um, when I was in high school, I had this really cool opportunity to go study polar bears in Canada. Um, my zoo sponsored me, the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium. They gave me, like, a scholarship, and I went and I saw wild polar bears, and I cried with that, too. But that yeah. was, like, the pivotal moment of, like, 
this is what I'm doing. But we were at, um, I can't remember the name of the park, but we saw, like, little beluga heads pop up from, like, I don't know, like, probably 200 yards away. And I'm, like, 16, and I'm, like, standing there, I'm, like, sobbing. Like, I don't even know what this (laughs) animal is, but there was just, like, something about it. Um, But I did that with the orcas as well. Like, I've cried about the orcas several times. We've all been there. Yeah, no, it's, no, it's funny, I'm, like, that sperm whale sighting, I, like, had premonition the day before, or the night, the morning of. I was like, I fucking see sperm whales today. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, as soon as they saw it, as soon as they uh, took a breath, man, just felt it. You were just like, there it is. I mean, sperm whales in Hawaii are revered. They're Hawaiian culture symbols, so. Yeah. Uh, more so than, I guess, you know, any cetacean in Hawaii is a, 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 a representation of one of the gods, Kanaloa, mm-hmm. so... Uh, sperm whales, the royalty used to wear their uh, teeth as jewelry, as a status symbol. Okay. Um, so I don't know if it was that or, you know, I just felt instantly connected to that. And you grew up in Hawaii? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that that played into it. So what role have whales played in Hawaiian culture? Oh, that is a very that's a tough question. question. That is I'm a sure. no. That's a very loaded question, and that's one of the things I've been looking into recently. Um, you know, like I said, they're a manifestation of one of the gods, Kanaloa. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whenever there's a stranding in Hawaii, there's a Hawaiian cultural practitioner that comes out and does a proper burial or mm-hmm. a proper ceremony to um, to give honor to the, mm-hmm. the animals that um, stranded. Um, you know, and you know, I'm still doing research on all this. My sister's worked. Uh, my sister's a lawyer. She does nice. um, a lot of the. She's worked with a lot of the um, protection groups for Native Hawaiian rights. That's awesome. Um, and what I've learned through her experiences was that when animals strand, is a message from the afterlife, and giving the animals back into the ocean is a way to communicate um, with your ancestors. Okay. Um, so I mean, there's a lot of those types of. Um, things that happen in Hawaiian culture still that are, yeah. um, you know, not really reported on or talked about, but, right. um, you know, I hope won't be forgotten with the older generation. Right. Um, so trying to remember these things is absolutely, um, important. I think that's really interesting too, because up here, like we've heard about like the Lummi people having a spiritual connection to the orcas. And it's just interesting that it seems though it's universal that people like historically have had a spiritual connection to whales. Um, and that is something I would love to study. I don't know how you study that. Um, let me know, but yeah, no, it's, (laughs) it's really interesting. Um, and one of the things I've always wondered if, like, you know, their consciousness of their breath is something that contributes to that. Because there's themes in, like, yoga and different religions of, like, breath work and meditation um, having to do with, like, enlightenment and spiritual growth. And maybe whales are more enlightened. And, yeah. Um, but how do you study that? You don't know. And then you go down <laughs> this track and get discredited because, you know, scientists are like, mm, what are you saying? Yeah, <laughs> like, no, it's a good balance. I mean, you have to find... I think people need to ask those questions, though, right? Mm-hmm. Like, keeps it interesting absolutely that's really cool Um, i think that you know those types of things help lead to more of the protections too right absolutely yeah yeah definitely like some some spiritual connections to the whales which is probably why you cried when you saw a whale why i cried when i saw a beluga and an orca yeah no i I totally feel it yeah totally relate um are there any experiences that you've had with whales that have been particularly impactful Whew, that's a tough one, too. Um, you know, breath sampling the false killer whale for the first time, definitely. That was a relief. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so that that encounter by itself is probably one of the best encounters I've had. We uh, um, 19 miles off of uh, 19 miles north of Kauai High on the Big Island, um, right in the middle of the Maui Channel. Um, we encountered the false killer whales, and they were they had found a mahi mahi under a, a floating ball that had come loose off one of the boats, mm-hmm. and they were just going at it. I mean, mm-hmm. they they try to hit it with their belly. Wow. They look really weird when they try mm-hmm. to breach and um, predate on mahi. Um, so they're just hitting this poor mahi into the air over and over and over before they finally ate it. Um, so just that in itself, I mean, we got the drone over it and got to, got to film that, which is amazing. Um, and then, you know, we kept following the animals and they ate the mahi and, you know, went to this consistent surfacing state and we were like, let's breath sample. Yeah. And, you know, that just, that one encounter really changed my perspective. Um, well, changed my life. I mean, I wouldn't be here yeah. if, if I didn't keep pushing sure. the boundaries of what drones can do in research. So, Absolutely. you know, being rewarded with a sample, um, yeah. after persevering with an endangered species, that that helps a lot with yeah. motivating you to keep going to press sample the next one and, and next work one. harder to do things more consistently, figure out protocols to do things better. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that one really, I can remember every moment of that encounter. And yeah. And it's good motivation to keep going. To keep going. How do you think that um, having, like, doing drone research is going to change the way that we understand the animals? Because clearly, like, there's only so much that you can understand from looking at something from the side, from, like, a surface point of view. When yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a good question. And, you know, it's 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 not so much of... It's so, you know, when we when we do photogrammetry of any animals, we, we make it a point to uh, simultaneously take a photo from the boat of the individual we're, we're mm-hmm. measuring so that we can add that level of, or that uh, data set to mm-hmm. our existing catalog mm-hmm. so it supplements a lot of what we already know about an animal mm-hmm. and then when we track measurements over time we can see if the population is growing or shrinking you know mm-hmm. if animals pregnant or not animals sick or not right um and then add another layer with breath sampling so it's mm-hmm. just another uh data set that we're mm-hmm. able to contribute to supplement what we already know about a species mm-hmm. um so you know i think drones I think drones have the uh, ability to change a lot about how researchers operate. For sure. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see drones to to biopsy and tag in the future. Yeah. Um, I mean, Snotbot's already trying to do um, uh, photo ID from right. autonomously with the drones. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think things will evolve very, very quickly as they have in the past five years. Yeah. And, you know, as technology gets better... Um, as more and more people start to use it, you'll see a lot new, a lot of new techniques come come to light and how uh, we are able to use these technologies to answer questions. For sure. So how do you see technology progressing maybe in the next five years, like to oh, continue to, to yeah. get more data about these animals? Um, well, I you know, cameras will get better. Um, batteries will get more efficient. Mm-hmm. Longer flight times. Yeah. Better photos heavier payloads um you know i'd like to see you know personally um more more ways to measure animals Mm -hmm. um like physically measure like animals that's a question that i get a lot on my boat is like how long is that whale how do we know and i'm like i honestly i don't know how they measure a whale because i've had experience trying to measure a dolphin or at least trying to watch other people at moat marine lab measure a dolphin and that's 
a whole task within itself. Yeah. Um, it's not easy to capture like a bottlenose dolphin, let alone an orca whale or a yeah. sperm whale. Yeah. No. I. I. You know, with the how um, these. AI algorithms are evolving. I wouldn't be surprised to see a learning mm-hmm. um, algorithm, you know, be able to pr- accurately predict the measurements of whales just based on photos. That'd be great. Um, you know, I, I know there's a couple folks from Duke that are already doing that with humpbacks. Um, nice. You know, AI measurements instead of having to have people process photos in the labs. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm optimistic that, you know, this whole AI revolution will solve a lot of issues with the way mm-hmm. you know our bottlenecks with how we process data nowadays and what is ai um well artificial intelligence is such a oh, broad yes. broad okay. term um but really like uh convolutional neural networks is really what mm-hmm. it comes down to and it's it's feeding enough data into a learning set that uh the computer can infer um based on similarities between photos okay. um how big an animal is yeah um so That's awesome. it's already happening. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised that more. It's just gonna more, like continue. To yeah, take it'll off. just get better. I mean, as as we get more images of these animals with mm-hmm. the drones, learning libraries will get better. Nice. Yep. So it's just a matter of time before. Before we get more and more information. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that with the progression of technology, we're going to be able to get a lot more information on these animals because it's always a question of ethics and. You know, we don't want to disturb their behavior too much, but I think that technology is a really good way to get more information without, like, and do it a little bit less invasively. Yeah. Is there any technology that you've seen recently that has sparked an interest or that you think is, like, particularly interesting to share? Yeah, one of the coolest technologies that I, like, literally a couple couple hours ago I was hanging out with, um, there's a dog named Eba who sniffs for whale scat. What? And uh, she she's put uh, the research team on um, resident poop. Amazing. And, you know, it's this rescue dog um, who's owned by a, a researcher on island, um, Deborah Giles. Oh, my gosh. I'm interviewing her oh, like, cool. in a couple days. Yeah, yeah no, Deborah Giles. I mean, be sure to interview Eva, too. I just yeah. I just set her up an uh, Instagram account, and she's just the sweetest dog. But, you know, just her, her story of... Literally, she was a rescue dog Aww. who was like, do you think Eva would be good at, at doing this for, for orca research? And they just tried it, and she found a sample. Like, it's awesome. Oh, my god! So when we go talk about technology, like, Eva, Eva is my inspiration right now. I'm just <laughs> what very, kind of dog is she? Uh, she's a Jack Russell Terrier mix. Oh, cute. Yeah. So cute. Yeah. So she goes out on the boats and just, like, smells for poop? Yeah. <gasps> I mean, I won't ruin the interview with, with okay. Giles. I mean... You got to see her with her life vest on. Oh my She's gosh. a star. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Be sure to follow her on Instagram. Her handle is Eba the Orca Dog. Eba uh, the Orca Dog. Okay, I'll make sure I'm yeah. in the process of putting together a website. Hopefully, yeah. by the time that this is like yeah, no. on the internet, there will be a website, and I'll put a link to it on there. Good. As well. I'm sure. I'm sure she'll get her profile. I, I did a whole Instagram tutorial with her this morning. So amazing. Yep. She's going to be a star. I feel it. That's. I'm. How could she not? <laughs> exactly. Be? Like, right. How can you exactly. not? Exactly. A dog that studies whale poop. Yep. It's everything everyone wants. Yeah, we had to list like her category on her Facebook page, and we're like, she's a scientist. Oh, she yep. absolutely <laughs> is a scientist for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. I it's very interesting to see like you know 
the connections that people form with animals and animals with people. And I'm reading a book right now. Um, it's called Endangered Orca by Monica Shields. And um, she was talking about Luna, one of the resident killer whales. Are you familiar with the story of Luna? Mm-mm. But basically this whale um, was separated from its pod, and they're not entirely sure why. Um, but it, like, started to make noises... Um, that, or make acoustics similar to like seals and sea lions to try to connect with them, and then eventually developed a relationship with humans. It's wow. a very famous whale, um, huh. but it's interesting to see those like different connections that are made. And I wonder if the dog is curious like about these things. So you never know yeah. what's going on in no, there. You can't ask, but yep. yeah, I'm very curious. No, it's just it's just amazing. You know, we when we think about technology replacing replacing all of these different things, you look at. Eba and it's just like there's no piece of technology you can do what Eba can do. Literally no. There's none. I'm so sorry. Yeah, she's <laughs> one of a kind. I hope I get to meet her. Yeah, well, that'd be you... cute if she could meet my dog. I wonder if I could get my dog to small or to poop. Worth a try. Yeah, I mean... for sure. <laughs> it's just amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think I have any more questions. Is there anything else you want to add, or anything you think is important? Um, let me think about that. Um. Yeah, I covered pretty much all of my life story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the best pieces of advice I've gotten from my boss, Robin Baird, was to become a birder. Okay. And I've always been interested in birds. Sure. But never to the point where you can look at a bird and try to I- identify what the species it is. Oh, the species. Is it a male, female, breeding, mm-hmm. breeding, non-breeding, a juvenile, first year, second year, like... Mm-hmm. Look out in San Juan Islands and try to identify seagulls. Yeah, that's a that's a good one, a good exercise in itself. Yeah, and his point is that birders have very good observational skills okay. that translate over to pretty much any other area of research. Okay, in Hawaii we have to be you know focused on so many different things mm-hmm. that having good observational skills is such a good thing to be good at. For sure. That's so. Awesome. Any advice to anyone out there? Become a birder. <laughs> Become a birder. Join one of the bird watching groups and just you know find count how many native species are in your backyard. Like yeah. that's that's pretty fun. And if, or if you live in the middle of nowhere, just get a guide. Go buy a local guide and go just look for birds. <laughs> no matter where you live in the world, mm-hmm. there will be native birds. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's one of the fun things about birds. They are everywhere. Yeah. They are everywhere. I often get told by people on the boat that if you don't see birds, you aren't looking hard enough. Yeah. And it's very true. Like, if you can't find a bird, you're not going to find a whale. Yeah, that's true. So, good good skill. Can't escape them. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I think that's all I have. That's no, I thanks. Have. Thanks for letting oh, me talk. Yeah, no, thanks for thanks for talking. Thanks no. for sharing. Anytime. Um, yeah. I hope we get to follow this up like in a couple years. Yeah, that'd be Cause cool. Because that'd be cool. That like before be and cool. after. Yeah, like, before. I'm a biologist now. Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs>